Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What we find during the assessment, we're talking you through what we're noticing, getting feedback throughout what you're feeling, and then always bringing it back, targeting it back to whatever is symptomatic for you. So in summary, that is kind of like a, a pelvic health assessment. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I have an expert interview for you guys with pelvic health physiotherapist, Anita Lambert. She is the owner of Holistic Health Physiotherapy, creator of the Bump to Birth Method and co-host of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. (laughs) Anita is passionate about helping you connect with your body, including your pelvic floor, plus keeping you active and comfortable during pregnancy while you prepare for birth and help you navigate your postpartum recovery and return to exercise without pain or pelvic floor symptoms. Something that is so common, but we'll learn in the episode, it's not normal. (laughs) For today's episode, Anita shared her expertise on diastasis recti or diastasis recti. And I think we talk about that too. Like there's two ways to say it. So we talk about that so that we could do a deep dive really into that subject for you guys. In the interview, you'll learn about what it is, DR, I'm going to say DR, because I think we decide in the episode to start calling it DR. (laughs) We start to talk about DR, how to tell if you're suffering from it, what pregnant women can do proactively to help prevent it from happening, and what to expect if you do have separation and seek out professional help. All right, let's get right to it. Have you guys heard of Bodily? They are a resource for maternal health and beyond, providing research-backed information and design-led products to help women navigate their changing bodies with confidence. 
Isn't that cool? (laughs) If you're currently pregnant or have ever given birth, then you know all about those body changes. Bodily's carefully designed evidence-based products are where it's at for the entire journey. They just get it, guys. (laughs) For example, Bodily's all-in panty was designed to be the ultimate panty for a transitioning body during maternity, postpartum, and beyond. It's super soft and stretchy, high-waisted, which is especially important for not irritating C-section incisions, and is slightly cheeky, so you can be covered up but still feel like yourself. And if you're in the second or third trimester, you can take that hospital bag checklist off your to-do list with Bodily's Care for Birth Box, which has several elevated birth recovery, postpartum, and breastfeeding essentials that you didn't know you needed until you really do. (laughs) Because you're a Mommy Labor Nurse podcast listener, you can take 10% off purchases over $95 with a code MLN10. Shop their complete line of birth recovery, postpartum, and breastfeeding products now at itsbodily.com. That's I-T-S-B-O-D-I-L-Y.com. And now let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Anita. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thanks so much for being here today with me. Thank you for having me on, Lisa. Yeah. So can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, your family, where you're from, what you do, all that good stuff? Yeah, totally. So I'm an orthopedic and pelvic health physiotherapist, and my practice is focused on prenatal and postpartum care, as well as birth prep, because I've done physio doula training as well as regular doula training. So I love blending that together with the physio background. And so I have a practice here. I'm in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, which is just a couple hours away from Toronto for those who are familiar with the area. So yeah, so that's my clinical practice. And then I also co-host the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. I also have my Bumped Birth Method online program for those who can't see me in clinic, but want the same strategies that I share with my clients. Yeah. And I'm a mom of two. My little ones just turned uh, six and three. So yeah, no, that's kind of of me in a nutshell in terms yeah. of uh, terms of what I do. Absolutely love working in the clinic. And then, you know, being able to offer education online, I find has just been so much fun and so helpful because you can reach so many people as I know yeah, you found exactly. as well working online. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. It's like there, and I love that I do both. We were just talking before the episode about like bedside care and you know, online stuff. And I love that I'm still able to be at the hospital a little bit just to still, cause it really, I feel like it grounds you, you know, when you're actually like putting your hands on patients and like working with patients, like it's so great to be able to reach so many people. Don't get me wrong, but there's just something about bedside care that I feel like I couldn't, not at this point, at least I couldn't completely give up anytime soon. (laughs) Oh, totally. No, I get that. And like, as a physio, like the one-to-one care, like to be able to kind of have that time with someone and be able to help them and guide them towards their goals is it's really fun. And you see so many light bulb moments that you can really impact someone's experience. And with working with clients specifically like preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum, there just needs to be so much more support and resources. So to be a part of that is, yeah, it's really, really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Cool. Well, today we are going to be talking about, uh, guess what? Since you're a pelvic floor health therapist, we're going to be talking about (laughs) pelvic floor stuff. And I figured I should do an episode that's deep diving into diastasis recti because that is something that is so, so common that we see with 
but that you see with postpartum clients and even during pregnancy that people can have diastasis recti with like a second or third or, you know, fourth pregnancy. So I figured I really want to deep dive into that because that's a really popular one. But I want to kind of first start off and talk about pelvic floor health in general and like, what is it even like seeing a pelvic floor therapist? I mean, I refer you guys all the time in my story when people have questions about these sorts of topics. And I say, seek out pelvic floor health therapy but I sometimes think it doesn't click because people are like, what even is that? Like, what's going to happen to me when I go yeah. into one of these? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I know. And I think so many people are like, I had no idea physiotherapists even work in this area. Yeah. It's almost like the pelvis is like taken out of the picture. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like, that's actually a big part of it. And I think as physio, so when I first got into physiotherapy, it's been over 12 years now, I wasn't into pelvic health side of it. So I was always external, kind of what we call orthopedic shoulders, neck, knees, ankles, all of that. And then when I don't, cause I just felt like, ah, oh, there's something missing, getting great, like outcomes with clients. But then when I like dove into like the women's health side and the public health side and brought it together, you're just like, there's so much missing. I think in general that people don't get asked these questions, but like pelvic health issues, like incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain, all these things are actually quite common and people just aren't asked about. So they don't know there's help. So in terms of as seeing a public health physio, I can share kind of how I see clients in assessment. I can say there can be differences between us because it can be where you're trained, all the other courses you've done after your basic courses. So just keeping that in mind, if you're listening, that we all might be a little bit different with how we approach it. And also too, to know, regardless of where you live, like there can be virtual options and in-person options. And especially since two years ago, the pandemic started. Um, uh, that lovely thing yep. that we still have to deal with. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's so many virtual options. And for me in my practice, I've actually kept initial assessments virtual because, and I'll explain why, and then follow-up appointments can be in person where we dive into more of the pelvic floor exam itself. I've yeah. seen so many benefits, but depending, you might see someone in person initially, and then they cover different parts of this. So, you know, initially we're going over your health history, your medical history, your injuries in the past to really get an idea of what you've been through. But also like the main point, like the first thing we start with is like, what are your goals? Like, what do you want to be doing? Because that for me will always indicate exactly whether it's exercises, education strategies, like we're going right to that day one. It's not this like generally everyone gets the same thing day one or it shouldn't be because that means it's not goal specific. And as physios, that's really what we should be doing. So we're talking about goals, whatever symptoms you're having with that. And then if you're pregnant, I go over birth preferences because I want to know like, how can I support you in your birth prep? Like, what are you aware of? What are your preferences? So then we can add that into every session. If someone's postpartum, going over past births, really important. So I can know, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, how was that experience? How was your recovery? Because again, that's going to play into us working together. Yeah. So that's kind of like the, the talking part initially. And then we'll go into education around what is the pelvic floor. For me, I really integrate the whole core canister system. So I'll educate about what is the pelvic floor, but then bringing it in with your breath because your diaphragm pelvic floor, they work quite closely together. And also that deep abdominal system as well. So there's a lot of education with that too. So people really understand because as you've seen, Lisa, like there's so much information online, like it can be overwhelming and then you're like, be. what's 
what's accurate, what's not. So I like with my clients that we're on the same page with how I approach things so that they're educated, up to date with things. And then from there, we really, we dive into strategies. So I want to be able to see whether in person or virtual, if someone, let's say, is leaking pee with doing a squat. I want to see them squat. I want to see how they're squatting. And right away, we might adjust their breathing strategy. We might adjust how they're connecting to their core, different habits they might be doing. So that's why virtual is great because I can see all that over video. But if you're seeing someone in person, they can do that too. And that's, again, maybe different depending who you see. But to me, that's really important because there's a lot of things we can do right away to change symptoms or leaking pee with sneezing. There's strategies we can start day one to get that to change. So that's often the next step is going right to movements or symptomatic issues and strategies that can help. In terms of if it's in person, checking diastasis, which I know we're going to talk more about in a bit. And there's like a traditional way of assessing kind of lying down. But again, if I have someone who I'll assess that way, but if they're feeling they have symptoms with certain movements, like let's say a plank. We're going to go then a check diastasis with plank. What are their mechanics so that we can adjust that as needed? And then in terms of the pelvic floor exam, again, we check in different positions. So usually initially on your back, but for some people, again, like they might not be symptomatic on their back. And I think that's where sometimes if people have seen other professionals before seeing me, certain things haven't been diagnosed or acknowledged because when they're lying on their back, it's not as obvious, like for example, prolapse. So we can also assess the pelvic floor in standing or squatting or those positions, because I just find a lot of times people are not necessarily symptomatic lying down because there's just a different, there's less pressure in the abdomen. Um, Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So for people to keep that in mind too, of you can always ask your pelvic physio to assess in different positions, but in general lying on your back, also your physio should also go through. A lot of us will have like a, a pelvic floor model with the muscles on it to really describe to you first, how we're going to assess these muscles, because again, informed consent, whether it's during birth, or during a pelvic exam should always be there. And part of that is understanding what the professional, like what they're assessing, what they're doing, and you consenting to that. So initially, we usually look at the outer layer of the pelvic floor. So I'm assessing the muscles around the outside, around the vulva, around the perineum, which is the area between your vaginal opening and your anal opening. So showing you on the pelvic model, just kind of pressing on that area. Because we first want to see, is there tenderness on the outside? Because if there is, there could be some tension in those muscles that we can actually change with breath work, really gentle manual work. I'll have people do a pelvic floor contraction, a cough, and a like a valsalva or a bearing down, like if you're going to the washroom kind of movement, bowel movement. So we can see how those muscles are moving without me like giving any cues or changing anything. We want to see naturally what the muscles do. And then internally... Again, we'll be check, we can check vaginally to check around again muscle tension because something people don't always know is like just like any other set of muscles, these muscles can actually be tense. Like there can be tension going on there, which can be there for a number of reasons. So we're checking that, especially if someone has pelvic pain, that could be helpful. And we're also checking your strength coordination. So that's why we often will use a fake cough to check the coordination of these muscles. It's similar to sneezing. It creates a similar pressure in the abdomen and to see what your pelvic floor does. And also that bearing down 
kind of El Salva movement will let us know too in terms of positioning for potential prolapse. So position of your bladder, cervix, rectum, urethra, like what is going on in those movements? So that's kind of in summary, kind of how we're checking things in terms of vaginally, but also anything to do with bowels or tailbone pain because of how the pelvic floor connects. I know it's tricky on a podcast to describe, but your, yeah, but your pelvic floor goes right from your pubic bone in the front to your tailbone in the back and side to side from sit bone to sit bone. So to assess more the back part of the pelvic floor, we can actually rectally assess the pelvic floor, which again can be helpful for a number of different reasons or, you know, after an episiotomy or more of a severe tear, tailbone pain, constipation, all of those issues, it can be helpful to assess kind of the back part of the pelvic floor too. But again, we go over all this ahead of time and to know too, if you have pelvic floor issues, you're not quite sure about a pelvic exam. As pelvic physios, we never push like, we're never saying you have to have an internal exam. Like I said, there's plenty of people that we treat fully virtually. So obviously we don't do an internal and can make changes. And I know some people with pelvic pain also because they've had pain with penetration, intercourse, anything internal that can feel stressful. So there's lots of things we can do externally. You do not have to have an internal pelvic floor exam, but I thought that would be helpful to kind of let people know what it, what it can involve. And then again, in standing, we can check your strength or coordination of those muscles, position, bladder, cervix, rectum, and even different movements in standing that might be symptomatic. And then we kind of bring that all together at the end to really, again, focus on someone's goals. So what we find during the assessment, we're talking you through what we're noticing, getting feedback throughout what you're feeling, and then always bringing it back, targeting it back to whatever is symptomatic for you. So in summary, that is kind of like a, a pelvic health assessment. Love it. Love it. Yeah. No, that was super informative. All right. The sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Bertha Up Babies. This one is a shorty, but I'm looking at a picture of the little Bertha Up baby right now, and he is ginormous. This nine pound, he nine pounds. Wow. She says, I just wanted to say thank you for your page and your class. I had super unusual back and tailbone labor. Whoa. And when it came time to push, I swear relaxing my jaw is the reason I only pushed for an hour. Cool. That is awesome. Such a small piece of advice that truly made a world of difference for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then she sent me that picture. He's so cute. This nine pound guy was quite the challenge for mama, but your advice was the key for sure. Oh, so sweet. I'm not sure what class she took, but if you want to check out either Birth It Up, the epidural series or Birth It Up, the natural series, you can head over to mommylibernurse.com and click on whichever class you want. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. I have one question before we go into diastasis. How many sessions do your typical patients have? Like, is it just a one-time kind of thing or do you have people come back like monthly or how does that even work? Yeah, that's a great question. And in reality, it's going to be individual. It's going to depend. So for example, if I have someone come who I've, you know, they're 10 years postpartum, they're leaking when they sneeze. I might see them a couple times, but if someone is pregnant and has pelvic pain and incontinence, I might see them again throughout pregnancy plus postpartum. So it really will differ, but it often I would say one time doesn't necessarily give you the opportunity to fully get 
to everything that we feel that probably will be helpful. So often it'll be more than once I've seen someone, but again, kind of depends on your symptoms and your goals. Yeah. No, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Cool. All right. Well, let's talk about DR. D- well, you said you, you call it DRA. Yeah. Yeah. Short? Okay. For sure. It just makes it so much easier to diastasis. say. I know. I'm like, is it diastasis yeah. or diastasis or what is both yeah. right? But we're going to call it DRA from now on for everybody listening, <laughs> just so we don't have to say diastasis yeah. a billion times. So yeah. Anita, can you tell yeah. us what DRA is and like how common it is? Are there any risk factors? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, if yeah. nobody's ever heard of it, what kind of is it in a nutshell? Totally, totally. So it's interesting that it's actually evolved over time how we talk about it, even how we treat it. So kind of the traditional definition is more about having two or more finger widths between your abdomen or kind of the thinning of the tissue. So if you picture kind of what people think as we call it the rectus abdominis, but like your six pack muscles. And there is tissue between that called the linea alba. It's connective tissue. So it's not muscle. Um, It's connective tissue that can stretch. So once that is two finger widths or more wider, that is the traditional definition of diastasis rectus because diastasis rectus abdominis is really about, it just means separation of those muscles. However, What we look at now is we're not just looking at the width because we know that won't necessarily give us the whole picture. We're also looking at the tension in that linea alba, that connective tissue. So whether someone has a lot of laxity, so it might, if you put your fingers in between, if you can really sink down and you're not getting much resistance, that would be less tension. So someone could have a few fingers wide, but if they've got great tension there's not really an issue. Mm -hmm. We're also looking at the whole abdomen. So we're looking at the abdominal muscles that connect into that tissue. How are they doing? What is their strength and their tone and the connection with them look like? Also the fascia. So that's that connective tissue under the layer of skin. What's that integrity like? And then also the skin stretches. So we're looking at the whole canister, the whole wall now versus just the width of that, that tissue itself. So I find that can be helpful for people to hear because there's still a lot of information out there just looking at the gap, but that might not be the whole picture of what's actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So about how common would you say it is? Yeah. So it's, when we look at pregnancy, there actually is a study that shows that by third trimester, pretty much like hundred percent of people will have the traditional definition. Mm -hmm. So that two finger width or more. But again, when we look at that, someone may have that space, but when we look at like pregnancy, your uterus grows, the baby has to, we need to make space. So it's actually more of a natural process in pregnancy. It's not necessarily pathological or like causing any issues. And then postpartum, it really ranges in terms of like some even show like 35 to 40%, but could be more, can be less because each study will look at diastasis differently. Like how I just, there could be the traditional definition. It could be newer looking at all the pieces of it. So it can be common postpartum, but again, it's not necessarily an issue if someone's abdomen muscles are necessarily um, sitting apart because there's more to that picture. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm assuming that a big risk factor for getting it postpartum is like if you have 
if you're carrying twins or if you have more abdominal amniotic fluid or like for some reason there's more intra-abdominal pressure. But are there any other risk factors that would like put you at higher risk of having diastasis? Yeah. So it's interesting. Again, with the research, there isn't necessarily kind of anything confirmed. Yeah. There are things potentially actually even genetics in terms of how our connective tissue is. And even potentially, yeah, subsequent pregnancies could be a risk factor. There is one study looking, or there is some research looking into potentially diabetes and pregnancy possibly contributing. But again, there's a lot of question marks with that of why that might be the case. So it's really interesting when it comes to the research, because I know so much out there online is very like definitive black and white, like this prevents it and this, but like when you actually dive into the research, there's, we still have a ways to go in actually getting confirmation around that. And I definitely see that in terms of my clinical practice. Like there isn't, there's so much gray when it comes to diastasis. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking, I think most people think, well, if I have a nice like six pack abs and I like work out a whole lot and then I get pregnant, like I'm not going to get diastasis, but that definitely still happens. I mean, I know I had yep. Ashley from Get Mom Strong on the podcast a while back and yeah. she talks about diastasis all the time because she had it. And I mean, she's Get Mom Strong, like she works out all the time, but that's definitely not like just because you have you're working out beforehand doesn't mean that you're not going to possibly get this. Yeah, that's exactly true. And I think it's great for people to hear. And Ashley is awesome on social media about sharing her. There's like, there's so many people who are sharing really great information and how we talk about it. Like to me, language really matters, right? Like in terms of um, saying if something is going to cause something that can create a lot of fear in people. So for people to know, like there isn't necessarily anything for sure that's going to cause it or necessarily prevent it, but there's things we can do to support our body and to help our pelvic floor and our abdominal muscles in pregnancy and postpartum to feel more supported in that. Yeah. No, love love it. Yeah. So let's talk about how can you tell if you have diastasis and let's talk about like maybe some cues that you might Mm -hmm. have, like some symptoms that you might have that might cue Mm -hmm. you and that you have it. And then like when you go into to see a a physical therapist, what they would do to kind of check it out. Totally. No, I think that's great. So one sign potentially can be what we call like doming or coning or tenting along the midline of your abdomen. So sometimes this will happen like getting up out of bed, getting out of the bathtub or with exercise, getting up off the floor. Sometimes you may notice this in planks or if you're doing like a pull-up. So in those particular movements that potentially the pressure in the abdomen could be pushing out. Now I say potentially because I have seen people who have this it could appear like doming or coning in the abdomen, but when we actually assess the muscles, they don't actually have diastasis. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's great. You brought up like, if you really want to know if you are able to see a professional to give you specific guidance and to assess it, and then you'll really know. But I would say in general, like coning, doming, tenting can be a sign of diastasis with it. And so how we can check. So if someone is pregnant and depending where they are in their pregnancy, it might differ a little bit. Sometimes I'll have, if they're further along, let's say third trimester, I may have them start sitting and then kind of do a gradual lean back. And that often will kind of allow the abdomen that I'll be able Mm. to assess it that way. And we're looking at kind of three different areas. We're looking 
above the belly button. So kind of between the bottom of your rib cage and your belly button, like in the middle there is kind of one spot we're going to assess at the belly button and then also below the belly button. So almost between your belly button and pubic bone, like in the middle there. So those are kind of three spots that we'll check. Now, the other way, that traditional way, if someone's postpartum or much earlier in their pregnancy, will you can check on like when someone's lying on their back. So kind of their knees bent, they're lying down. And it involves doing this like chin nod and really slow, slow head lift. And I emphasize the slow because sometimes people end up going, lifting their head super fast. And when you do that, the abdominal muscles can approximate really quickly. And so you won't necessarily get a true reading in terms of the width of it or even the tension in it, in particular with lying down, if you go really fast. So that's why often we'll go really slow. We'll check out uh, those three spots. But then the other part is having someone do a core activation. So for me, I call it like a core canister breath. I get someone to breathe out and we cue the pelvic floor and the abdomen and then do the same movement. And we're seeing, does that change the tension in that tissue? Does that change the width? Does that change how the muscles themselves are functioning? Because that also gives us an indication of if someone can cue differently, and then we bring that into exercise or whatever symptomatic, that that could actually help them. So yeah, those are kind of the different ways we'll assess. And then, like I said earlier, in any position, so lying down, someone might not be symptomatic or there might not be much going on, but if someone goes into a full plank on their toes and elbows and they're like, but I always dome in this position, can you check that? And then we'll adjust and modify the movement or their breathing strategy or how they're activating or even the movement itself to see if we can find like a better position for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So next question, yeah. what's the big deal about yes. diastasis? Like if you have it, you know, are there any yeah. complications or like, yes. what, you know, what if you have it? What what happens? Yeah, no, I think this is great because I love busting this one myth of there is a lot out there of like, if you have diastasis, it's related to back pain. Or if you have diastasis, you're going to have prolapse or pelvic floor, like other pelvic floor symptoms. And there really, again, isn't research to show one is causes the other. Someone may have both, but they don't necessarily cause each other. And when it comes to like other complications, like I find a lot of people who do bring it up, especially when it's postpartum, it can also be the visual side of it because they notice their abdomen looks different. They notice maybe it looks more distended, like more out than it was before. But again, we may check it and they may not actually have diastasis. Like it could be the other things we we talked about. It could be the abdomen while the muscles have stretched, the skin has stretched, there's fat we gain in pregnancy too. So all these different things may contribute to that distended look and not necessarily diastasis. But for someone maybe who has a wider finger width and lack of tension and that going on, that again can give us information of what we want to work towards in terms of creating more tension and more tone in the muscles and challenging their ab muscles. That's where things have changed over time is there was a point where we all were kind of taught, don't challenge the ab muscles, essentially, like don't plank, don't sit up, don't crunch, don't do any of these like quote unquote core exercises. But what we're finding is if you don't challenge the muscle, just like any other muscle in your body, you won't necessarily see change, but it's more about the quality of how, how we do that. So yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, I want to talk about what, because we have a lot of pregnant listeners. I want to talk yeah. about if there's anything that you can do pregnant to possibly mm-hmm. like proactively prevent diastasis, getting it yeah. diastasis. You know, get, like you said, yeah. oh, it's it's common to have the first short time, but getting, yeah. you know, that extreme diastasis recti. Yeah. So again, there isn't, I wouldn't say there's anything that can 100% prevent that, but how we're yeah. saying learning to connect your breath with your pelvic floor and deep core is quite, can be quite helpful. And then bring that into exercise and still challenging. Like for example, planks that getting that connection. And then instead of, if someone comes into pregnancy and they came in doing plank on their elbows and toes, I'm not necessarily going to have them do that for the entire pregnancy because there gets a point that like the pressure and just how the abdomen has stretched, it's going to be hard for you to stay, get that nice deep connection on the floor. So we'll start elevating you to like a bench height or kind of couch cushion height and then, or potentially to the back of the couch neck. So we start elevating you so you can keep that nice deep connection. And when I say connection, it's not that these muscles are ever turned off, but this idea of when you breathe in, the muscles relax. As we breathe out, your pelvic floor can lift and your abdomen, almost like your baby is hugging in, like that is that connection that we're looking at. So can you connect to the muscles in that way? And then we bring that into basically whatever type of exercise you love doing. Cause especially like some people get told like only swim or only do yoga and that, and Mm -hmm. someone's like, but I love lifting weights. Like, can I never do that again in pregnancy? And I'm like, no, you can. Mm -hmm. So let's again, look at the movements you'd love doing. Let's make sure they're efficient. They're really quality in terms of how you're engaging to keep you doing that throughout. And there just may be modifications as, uh, as pregnancy goes on with that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about postpartum. So let's say you get, you know, you have this, what are some yeah. treatments that you might do with somebody postpartum? And also, is it even, is, is there sometimes where it's like too late, it's just too separated and you can't, you can't fix it? Yeah. No, the great news is it's never too late. Okay, I've seen good. people like <laughs> decades postpartum and I like, it is never too late in terms of making those adjustments. So similar to in pregnancy, and that's why it's, it's nice. If you're listening to this in pregnancy and you can learn to connect to that deep core system in pregnancy, it actually helps postpartum because your body then remembers and like you can reconnect. Potentially you might feel like you reconnect easier because you're aware of it. So yeah, postpartum, very similar to in pregnancy learning to connect to that deep core canister and then bringing that into whatever exercise you love doing. And let's say someone is having that doming or coning in a position. Again, we're going to modify it to see, could we either change how you're breathing, how you're engaging or the position of that movement so that you're not necessarily having that excessive pressure out and then progressing from there. So, because another thing too, traditionally is people have been told like, just been given exercises on their back. Like Mm -hmm. people are familiar with like heel slides or leg lifts and those are fine exercises. But again, when you're lying on your back, it's not necessarily challenging those muscles. So that's why if anyone's listening and you feel like you've been doing the same thing forever in terms of exercising, you're not really seeing a difference. It could be that we just need to challenge challenge you a little bit more. If it's feeling too easy, mm-hmm. then we want to go to the next step. And so that's why we first want to see where you connect the best. So I have some clients, they connect the best to that deep core system in standing. And some people are like, oh, I thought I would go home with like just stuff lying on my back. And I'm like, 
nope, this is where we're actually starting because you connect the best to this position. And a a neat thing that you can do at home, right? Depending if you're sitting, standing, any position, if you have access to a mirror, sometimes I'll have people use that as feedback. And if you're in a position like a plank or hands and knees where you're like, I can't see what's going on. um, Look, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. that actually I have people use like a hand mirror. Like if you get one of those big kind of hand mirrors, yeah, you can even put that on the floor under you and then you can actually get a better idea of like what's going on when you're engaging in those positions. So we have a lot of fun, like challenging. And I think, again, people like that idea of like, oh, this is actually work. Like I can feel things happening and like, this is the exercises I started with and oh my gosh, this is where I am now. And like, my goal was to get back to this and I'm like that much closer. So it, the rehab for anything should really be tailored and be looking more like where you want to end up at. Mm-hmm. So keeping that in mind too, whatever your goals are, talking to your physio or whoever you're working with, and you should understand why you're doing an exercise and where it's going. And if you don't ask them, because there should be a reason for each one, it shouldn't just be everyone gets A, everyone gets B, because that's everyone's goals are going to look different. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So what would you say is the average like time frame that you're able to, if you have a wide separation, mm-hmm. how long do you think that, I'm, I'm sure it's individualized, Yeah, but how long typically would you yeah. say that, that takes to fix? Yeah. And so it can, one of the things that can depend on is again, is it more like with muscles, like we can change strength in that kind of that six to eight week mark. But when it comes to connective tissue, that can be a year or two for that to change. So that's where it comes down to like, what is the actual issue? Because it could take longer for connective tissue to see change versus muscle. So yeah, it really depends because it, yeah, could be a couple months, but it could be longer. And then depending to what is actually symptomatic as well. So I know it's not like the most straightforward answer, but I think it helps people know that there's actually a range because it depends why you're actually experiencing it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, this was just lovely. Thank you so much for joining me, Anita, on this podcast. So informative. I love it. And I think we should end with like what you said. If you have this problem, you have diastasis, like there is hope. You can go see a pelvic floor health specialist. There are people that specialize in this to help you out. And if for some reason you're having these issues where your stomach is, you know, you feel like you're still pregnant, you still look like you're pregnant, that can be fixed. Thanks so much for having me on, Lisa. Thank you so much. Yeah. Before we leave, do you want to share, remind our listeners where they can follow you on social media? Yeah, totally. So you can find me, uh, Instagram is where I am the most. You can find me at Holistic Health Physio. Cool. Cool. Awesome. We'll put that stuff in the show notes for people to check you out. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast 
for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place. If you're in business, you probably have a website, but can your site handle your growth? How many visitors before your site slows down or crashes? What about storage and data security? From web hosting to virtual servers, Pair Networks provides the online infrastructure you need to start, grow, and flourish. When it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. No frustrating chatbots are sitting on hold for hours. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. That's P-A-I-R.com.